0: Let's open the precious Word of God to Psalm 68, Psalm 68. I hope you know what's buried in this psalm as pertains to the ministry. I hope that you'll give me your attention for a few minutes. I know what time it is. This is an important subject, though, and I want to have you established in it. The Lord's been most merciful to us. In the 15 minutes I just took, I taught you something that is not taught today and that is fasting. Oh, fasting is taught. It's taught as a way to purge your bodily systems. Fasting is taught as a way to lose weight. But if you do it for either of those reasons, even in the smallest degree, the Lord will not receive it. Amen. Right. It's got to be done for Him. So if you're trying to lose weight and you're afraid of having a conflict of emotions and desires, when you fast, then why don't you fast and just drink a few cups of oil during the day to make sure that you have more calories than usual, but you don't have anything that tastes good? And then you'll be like Daniel who deprived himself of pleasant bread. Because if our motives are tainted, and they're always going to be tainted to a degree, right. but if they're tainted presumptuously, the Lord's not going to receive our fasting. If He sees that we're doing it because we want to lose weight, purge our liver, and, bless Brother Jim, we might not get any of those things accomplished, including the liver. Right. So let's trust the Lord. And the reason I brought up fasting again is the Lord has blessed us mercifully because we do not deserve it, nor are we worthy of it, nor have we earned it, To see in His Word that fasting is a part of New Testament worship. And we ought to do it. Psalm 68 and verse 18, a precious verse. I hope you love it. Psalm 68, 18. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. This is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first clause, it says, Thou hast ascended on high. Jesus Christ went up on high. He rose bodily from this earth into the presence of God and sat at his right hand. He led captivity captive by destroying death that had once held us captive. He received gifts from God the Father to give to men. And he gave those gifts and he gave them even to rebellious men that the Lord God might dwell among them. What kind of relationship did Israel have with God before Moses? Did they really know God? Did they know what he wanted for them? No. No. God dwelt among Israel by Moses revealing his word. So specifically is this true that as Moses went back into Egypt, the Lord said to him, I have prepared your brother Aaron. Aaron will be to you a mouth... And you will be to Aaron, God. Right. God revealed himself to Moses. Moses would tell Aaron what God had just told him. And then Aaron would tell the elders of Israel. God dwells among his people by his ministers who search his word and declare to them the word and the will of God. The voice of God by his word. We don't believe any less about the doctrine of inspiration. We want to look at the prophets of God, brethren, so that we can know how to pray for our brother. So that we can recognize what a true prophet of God is and what a blessing it is to have them. Where would Israel be today if it hadn't been for the prophet Moses? They'd be making more pyramids. You say, well, God just chose... That's right, God just chose brother Jim too. But it's God's choice. And God chose Moses... And it was by the means of Moses that that nation was delivered out of Egypt and taken to the land of Canaan by the man Moses, a great prophet. Stephen, when he preached in Acts chapter 7, refers to him as a great man because he was a great man used by God for great things. And where would that nation be without him? How many times did God want to annihilate the nation of Israel and it was only saved because Moses interceded for them? Many times many times. Where would the city of Nineveh be without the prophet Jonah? Even if Jonah did have a twisted perspective on things and a bad spirit, where would the city of Nineveh be if it wasn't for the message that he brought? They would have been burned up by the fire of God, but they were saved. Where would Cornelius be if it wasn't for Simon Peter to preach to him the gospel He'd still be fasting and praying, wondering what he ought to do to please God. Where would the eunuch be? Way back down in Ethiopia, working for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He had some Bible. He was able to read the prophet Isaiah, but he didn't have a clue. He didn't know as much as our children understand. When he read Isaiah 53, his question was, is the prophet here speaking about himself or some other man? Our children can read Isaiah 53 and know that it's speaking of another man, the man Christ Jesus, because of the prophets of God. Because Philip was such a prophet. And the Spirit of the Lord took Philip and brought him to that chariot. And he saw that he was reading and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And without the prophets of God, we would not understand. If we could understand, then we don't need the ministry today. Because everyone has a Bible. But having the Bible is not enough. God never intended for His people to get by with the Bible. Most of the Lord's saints have been unable to read the Bible and didn't have the Bible in the history of the world. The Word of God is the man of God's primary tool and to Him it is primarily given. And he is the one that is supposed to teach it. But what understanding would we have of it if it weren't for the prophets that God has sent? What about poor Lydia, that seller of purple of the city of Thyatira? You know, she went out by the riverside in Acts chapter 16 to pray with some other women. But what if Paul hadn't come along to teach her about the Lord Jesus Christ? She'd still be lost. She would not have known the truth of the gospel. I'm using the term prophet for our study in a loose way just meaning a messenger of God, we have an ordination approaching, and I want us to realize the solemnity of the event and the importance of it and the blessing. You know, in the in the Gospels of Luke chapter 10, Jesus said that look unto the fields, they're waiting into harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Amen. Well, he's sending one, and we get to see it done, and we get to do it in various roles in that act, and we should be most thankful for that blessing. If it wasn't for the beautiful feet that have brought us the gospel of peace, we could be Mormons. Half of those who call themselves Christians in the world are Catholics. If it were not for beautiful feet to have brought us the truth of the Bible, we could be Catholics. We could be worshiping this morning before relics and fingering beads And watching our priest perform a magic show of turning a cracker into God. If it were not for his grace and his prophets, we have been saved from such errors. Last Sunday, we looked at the persons of the prophets, their character, their integrity, and their manner. Let's look at a few more aspects of the prophets of God today. Turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Some of you should know where we're going when I turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. But the purpose of the prophets of God. I want to emphasize this purpose of theirs. It is not enough for us to have our Bibles. It is not enough for us to have Alexander Scorby on cassette or CD. Because we need a prophet to open up the word of God to us. Right. And God has prepared men with unusual hearts. And He's prepared them with a, with a job of spending their time in the word of God to use the abilities He's given them and the time that we give them so that they can preach and open to us the scriptures. Nehemiah chapter eight and verse eight. Now, do you think everyone had turned in their scriptures for this reading? They didn't have the scriptures. They listened to their preachers. Nehemiah 8.8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. God did not ordain another tribe to be copyists like Kinko's to take the law of God that Moses had written and duplicate it three million times so that everyone in Israel could have a copy. Because that wouldn't get the job done. That wouldn't get the job done. When men study the Bible without a prophet of God there to help them, they end up with doctrines like the baptism for the dead of the Mormon church. Or they end up with selling all of their possessions and standing on the housetops of America in 1844 because Jesus was coming back. Which they missed by a couple hundred years. That's what men get when they're in the word of God without a true prophet to guide them. And here is an example. They read in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading. This is how we understand by God sending us prophets. Why are we not baby sprinklers? Because God has sent prophets to us showing us the truth of His Word that baptism must be a burial and a resurrection. And if it weren't for those prophets coming to us and His grace and kindness toward us, we would be sprinkling right along with the rest of so-called Christians. He's been merciful to us. Statistically, we're in the minority. Because 90% or more of all those claiming to be Christians sprinkle babies. God has saved us by his prophets because they give us the sense of his word. Look at Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. We're looking at the purpose of prophets and what a blessed purpose it is. We are told the truth of the universe. We're told the truth of God. We're told the truth of sin, condemnation, salvation, and everlasting glory. We're told on how to worship God properly. We're told how to live, to have a successful life. And all of that is subordinate to seeking Jesus Christ and heavenly things. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15. I will give you pastors. What a prophecy. Amen. Jeremiah 3.15. I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and, understanding. and every time a pastor is put in the pulpit or in the ministry outside of God's order for things, we get a man who is not going to feed them with knowledge and understanding. Because in order for God's people to be fed with knowledge and understanding, it must be pastors according to his heart. Right. That means they don't pick the office. They don't choose the ministry like a career. God chooses them. And his ministers find them. Don't worry. God hasn't chosen a man that he didn't get all the way to the office if that man humbled himself to do the work that God called him to. Don't worry about that. I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. The point we're looking at right now is the purpose of a prophet is to feed us with knowledge and understanding. And without them, we would not have knowledge and understanding. We would be lost, and the Bible says we will be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14. The purpose of God's prophets. Let's turn to the book of Malachi at the end of your Old Testament. The book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. Here is God describing His purpose for ordaining the tribe of Levi and the priests that came out of the tribe of Levi. Verse 6, The law of truth was in His mouth, and iniquity was not found in His lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priests' lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at His mouth. For He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is the purpose for the ministry. They should keep knowledge in their lips, and we should be able to go to them in their pulpits and to them in private, and find the law of God at His mouth. For He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And they turn many away from iniquity, according to Malachi chapter 2. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The purpose of the ministry is is to reveal the will of God because they are the messengers of the Lord of hosts and they bring His word and His will to God's saints. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 shows us that the verse we began with in Psalm 68 and verse 18 is fulfilled in the New Testament ministry because Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8 is Paul quoting Psalm 68 and verse 18. But we want to look at the purpose for pastors and teachers. Now, the last three words of verse 11 are pastors and teachers. And here is the purpose for God giving that gift. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Pastors and teachers are given to help saints become perfect. For the work of the ministry. To do the ministry of God that is serving God's people by ministering His word to them for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the church of Jesus Christ, to make it stronger, to make it larger, to make it taller, to make it more fit, for Jesus Christ to dwell in it. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. It is to create unity so that we are all thinking alike about the truth of God's Word, of the faith, not of the faith. There should be one faith and we should all be united. There is, there is only one faith. Amen. And there should only be one faith in here. And we're all united in that one faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Un- aren't you thankful that some beautiful feet have come and shown us the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God by His incarnation, Amen. rather than by some ridiculous, mysterious hallucination in the Godhead before the world began? ridiculous. And do you know what kind of a percentage minority we're in statistically on that one? We're very thankful for those beautiful feet that have come and shown us the knowledge of the son of God. The son of God is the man, Christ Jesus. He is the son of God. And before Mary conceived a child in her womb by the power of the Holy Ghost, there was no son of God, but by covenant design Amen. in the counsel of God. There was no Son of God in the Old Testament. There was God in the Old Testament. There was the Word of God that was God and that was with God. Amen. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the knowledge of the Son of God that we have been taught by the pastors and teachers that God has sent us. We have been blessed. Amen. And we want to send that blessing on to some others. Amen. Unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ the purpose of the ministry is to take sinners saved by grace that are now called saints and to perfect them so that they look like Jesus Christ right. verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive See, the Apostle Paul wrote like I talk, critically. Notice what he is saying. He is saying the purpose of the ministry is to save God's saints from hucksters and shysters right. and liars and deceivers who with cunning craftiness sneak around trying to deceive people to believe a lie. Like Joseph Smith, who, think he, who thinks he translated some Egyptian hieroglyphic stones that he found in upstate New York and he called them the Book of Mormon. Everyone knows that it's a lie. The Mormon church knows. Except the poor little people who make up the Mormons of the Mormon church by various proofs of evidence. But notice, the ministry is to save people from that. Because if it wasn't for prophets protecting us saying, that is an error. This is the truth. That is an error. This is the truth. If we didn't have men of God telling us that, we would believe anything. Amen. We would believe anything. The Bible says, the Bible says, Jesus said, thou shalt not swear at all, neither by heaven nor by earth, nor by the hair in your head, but nor by the temple, nor by anything. Jesus said you may not swear by anything, and that any use of words more than yes and no is sin. Jehovah's Witnesses find that verse, and the Mennonites find that verse, and so they make a law that it is a sin to swear. So when they appear in our courts, they will not take our oath. Because they do not understand those words. Right. Jesus swore. Paul swore. All great men in the Bible swear. And swearing is commended in the word of God. But we're only to swear by one thing. Amen. And that is the Lord himself. Amen. Because swearing is an act of worship. Because swearing is cl- laying claim to something that is greater than you are. And that's what we do in our courts. But if it wasn't for a man of God to come along and take those words in Matthew and those words in James and show them their proper place, we would end up just like the Mennonites and the Jehovah's Witnesses. There they are in error on a point of doctrine. Because we need prophets of God, according to Ephesians 4.14, to protect us from winds of doctrine and the slight of men. If you've ever watched Matthew Jones... Who, is a, who, who can be a magician, who can deceive you by very quick and carefully planned movements of his hands. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating to watch him. Totally, I love to try to get him to slow down a little, and I get my face right up there, and that's, which makes it harder. But I want to get as close as I can to try to watch his hands if he's working with a rope or a lemon or a dollar bill or playing cards. But he can pull the wool over your eyes, brethren. With his hands, you can watch his hands and he can pull the wool over your eyes. Matthew is very good at it. This says that there is a slate of men, not a slate of hands, but a slate of men who are using cunning craftiness to sell lies to people. Right. And so the men of God are to protect from that. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15, but here's the result of the true prophets of God. Speaking the truth in love, May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And then it goes on to describe how the body, by being properly taught by its ministry, can grow into a successful, prosperous, victorious, spirit-filled church. May the Lord be praised. What a passage. This describes the purpose of the ministry. What's the message they bring us? They bring us God's word. If I haven't made that plain enough already, then we've erred somewhere. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just to get another text or two on this point. What is the message these prophets of God bring us? It's the Word of God. What four words do we see so many times in Scripture as a prophet is about to unload his message? Thus saith the Lord. Because the prophet is not bringing his ideas. The prophet is not bringing his thoughts, his dreams, his feelings. He's bringing the Word of God. Thus, saith the Lord, I have been given God's words, now I'm giving them to you. And the man of God has been given God's words more than you have through this book. Because the Holy Scriptures are primarily the man of God's book. Right. Now that's a shocker for people sometimes today. To think that think the Scriptures are given equally to all saints. But they're not. All Scripture is given to make the man of God perfect. And the man of God is the man of God. The man of God is the prophet, the bishop, the pastor, the teacher, the one who's to give himself to the ministry of the word. The saints are to go find scriptures if and when they can and to search them daily to see if these things are so. What things? The things they've already been taught. To discover new things? No. To search to see if the things they've been taught are so. Acts 17 and verse eleven. First Thessalonians two thirteen. Verse thirteen. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. What a verse. The Thessalonians were one of the noble churches of the New Testament. And Paul commended them and thanked the Lord for them, because when they heard Paul and the other apostles and teachers preach, they received their preaching not as the mere words of men, but as the Word of God. Which Word of God works effectually in everyone that believes? The Word of God will accomplish things in your life if you'll believe it and obey it and trust the man of God that's delivering to you the Word of God as the Word of God, not His Word. Oh, we've been blessed. And I want more blessings. And I've told you that, and I'm praying for that. I want greater blessings for this church. And the greater blessings are going to come by believing and submitting to the word that you are getting like these people did. The Lord will send more. He wants to see how much a people really want to believe. Let's humble ourselves before his word. And this is the purpose of a prophet. And his message is the very word of God. Remember the job description of a man of God? Second Timothy 4, 2. I know this brother knows it. I know some others know it. It's three words. Preach the word. word. And what word is it? It is the more sure word of God's will from heaven. They are the very words of God. And a minister is to preach the word. We're not to preach poems. We're not to preach stories. We're not to preach illustrations. If I were to tell you stories about my childhood, I could make the sermons more pleasant but they'd be less profitable. Who cares about my childhood other than my mother? My childhood is unimportant. What's important is the word of God. That's no fault of yours. You're just a good mother. A loving mother who remembers all those tender moments of her little Johnny getting into lots of trouble. The, the important part of li- the important part of a ministry can, should not be illustrations, anecdotes, jokes, and other filler like that. It's got to be preaching the word of God. I've shown you this morning that fasting is the word of God. I've, I've mentioned several other things: oaths. That's a huge item. Those of you who are using CLE education, Christian Light Education, those Mennonites—they don't believe in taking oaths. An oath is an act of worship. When the high priest had Jesus Christ on trial at his crucifixion, Jesus wouldn't say a word. Wouldn't say a word. Just stood there. They accused him of everything. Wouldn't say a word. Then the high priest did this. The high priest invoked the swearing commandment of the Old Testament. He said, I adjure thee by the living God to tell us whether you are the Son of God or not. He swore. Did Jesus respond to that? He had to respond to that. Because the New Testament says if you hear the voice of swearing, you must tell the truth. And do you know what Jesus said? You got it. That's our way of saying the words that he said. You got it. You bet I am. I want to tell you something else, though, that you didn't ask for. I'm coming shortly in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and you're going to be here long enough to see me coming. Right. because he obliterated that man in that stinking city of Jerusalem and leveled the nation of Israel for having crucified the Lord of glory. And he told him that it is crucifixion. Amen. But he answered the voice of swearing. Now, I just, I'm just i chasing that little rabbit of swearing to point out to you that it's the Word of God we preach. Right. Just because our fathers and our grandfathers didn't believe in swearing, we're going to go by the Word of God. Amen. I began as a pastor of this church many years ago preaching that we ought to wash feet. And so after the Lord's Supper tonight, we were going to make two rows of women on one side and two rows of men on the other side. I don't know why they don't wash each other's feet, because the feet washing we see in the Bible is women doing it to men. But anyway, they corrupted that, so we had two rows of men and two rows of women, and we thought that washing the saints' feet was part of the Lord's Supper. And along comes the Lord in his mercy to your man of God to see first Timothy chapter five and verse 10, which proves beyond the shadow of a doubt to believers that washing the saints feet was never an ordinance of public worship nor ever practiced by the whole church, but something done only by exceptional people in the privacy of their homes, which showed the character of a widow indeed that ought to be supported by the church. Do you remember that? And so we changed. That was by the Spirit of God changing the man of God who changed the worship done by a church. The Word of God. The message that a man has is the Word of God. Turn to Ezekiel with me, please. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. There's a little book of Lamentations in Ezekiel in the middle of your Bibles. Well, three-fifths of the way through. Ezekiel chapter 2. Oh, I thank the Lord for that. Amen. What I just told you about, oh, I labored with that for years. Lord, show me the truth on this that I can stand on it with 100% conviction that I know it's the Word of God. The man that ordained me, I have his ordination certificate. I'll bring it next Sunday. I'm not sure what shape and form Brother Jim's ordination certificate's going to arrive in but I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be definitive by its front page or by its appendices. It's not going to be vague. The man who ordained me has an ordination certificate. I'll bring it for you to see that if he ever departs from the washing of the saints' feet, this ordination is null and void. That's how traditionalized primitive Baptists are. What in the world are you talking about? This brother's ordination is unconditional. Right. And that will be stated very clearly. Regardless of personal failure or doctrinal error, his ordination is unconditional. Right. He stands before God, not before us. Amen. The Lord will bless or take away as the Lord sees fit. We don't. There is no more power. After a man is ordained, there is none. Thank God he has saved us from so much Amen. null and void if you don't hold to our little pet doctrines. What if Brother Jim gets up there in Michigan and the Holy Spirit blesses him and he comes up with the sixth phase of salvation? Amen. You, I'm, you know why I'm saying that. I'm just pointing out that the Lord may bless him and open his eyes to something that he hasn't... If you think that we've arrived and we've got a corner on the truth and we know everything that God wants us to know... I haven't ever said that. The thing you've heard of me is open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. That is all you hear out of me. There is no claim to have a corner on the truth. For every ounce of truth we have, I am most thankful. But I also know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And I am the least of all men on this planet to be shown anything by God. And so if the Lord shows him something more, may the Lord bless him to see something more and Amen. make him greater than I am. Amen. I hope you're ready for that next Sunday. I hope you're praying Amen. for that. Amen. Don't worry about my feelings. Amen. You want to help my feelings? Then pray for him to have a double portion of whatever spirit has been given to me. Amen. And you'll, be, you'll have a happy pastor. Ezekiel chapter 2. I want you to see what the message of the man of God is. Verse one, and he said unto me, son of man, stand upon thy feet and I will speak unto thee. And the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day for they are impudent children. And stiff-hearted, I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, and they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. Even when a people do not want to hear the preaching of God's word, what's the minister supposed to preach? Thus saith the Lord God, and never back down from that. Your charge is coming. Next Sunday. Thus saith the Lord God. Don't ever back down. Look at look at Isn't this precious? This is the message of the man of God. And there's no reason to ever back down because you've got God's word. Remember poor little Amos? He was being picked on by a priest over there in Amos chapter 7. He was being picked on. He said, now wait a minute. I didn't want to be a prophet of God. I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. I was just a herdsman, and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord came to me and said, Go speak. That's what the man of God's message is. Go speak the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Could God have invented the copy machine in 2000 B.C.? Of course. Of course. When did God allow men to have organs? The grandson of what man created the first organ? Built the first organ? Cain. Cain's grandchildren built the first organs. We're taught that in the Bible. Could they have built a copy machine? Sure. God didn't build a copy machine. Because that passage we read, where they stood and read in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading, no one had the word of God except the few scribes. And Ezra, the Bible tells us, this, this is his title, was a ready scribe in the law of God. Amen. A ready scribe. I like that. I'm not, just a ready scribe. If you were to ask Ezra some questions about the law of God, you'd get some answers because he was a ready scribe in the law of God. I like that. Sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to show you that under the New Testament things haven't changed. Verse 16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The scriptures have been given primarily to the man of God, who then by God's gifts of understanding, and the Holy Spirit's guidance and time dedicated to the task. Teach that word of God to the people of God. Right, amen. That's the order. Because of the invention of the printing press does not change God's order at all. Amen. Right. The scriptures should be searched to see if what you're being taught is true. What you're being taught. You shouldn't be using the scriptures to try to learn something new. Now, someone will say, well, that sounds like the priests of Rome. No, I'm just reading to you the Word of God because the moment you step out in the wild side and think you're going to find something new that we haven't covered before in the 20 years that you've had pastors here in the city of Greenville, South Carolina, what in the world do you think you're going to come up with? You say, does God ever use members of a congregation to help a pastor see something more clearly? Of course. Like He used Balaam's ass to help Balaam see things more clearly, too. And that isn't to put you anywhere that I haven't put myself. I'm but Balaam's ass, and all I have to say is what the Lord's given me to say. Amen. But I want you to read and heed the Word of God. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, the Word of God is given to the man of God. The man of God is to preach the Word of God to the people of God. If that isn't the order, then you do not need the ministry. Right. All you need to do is go home, get yourself a good dictionary, take a few courses in English and have your English Bible, and you should be all set. And that does, it doesn't work that way, and it's not God's order. The Scriptures are given by inspiration of God for the man of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, moving to your left, one chapter. 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is a word of exhortation and commandment to a minister. That he'll be a workman. Nowhere is a verse like that given in any of the general epistles to churches. There isn't one verse in Romans or 1st or 2nd Corinthians or Thessalonians or Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or in Hebrews for the people of God to study diligently the Word of God to arrive at truth. They're to submit themselves to those that have the rule over you, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. And do you know what the end of our conversation is? The judgment of God if we don't preach the truth. All of you know me. I have never preached to lie to you. And I have never compromised in this pulpit. I full well know where I've sinned. That does not make me a hero at all. But there are some things in life that are more sacred than other things. All things should be equally sacred under God's word. Mm -hmm. However, I'm just telling you the nature of the case whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. That's Hebrews 13 and verse 7. This is God's word for God's man. Look at First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. Verse 13. Till I come. This is Paul telling Timothy how to be a good bishop. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. What prophecy? Psalm 68, verses 11 and 18, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. There's no verse in, the, in any of the general epistles telling the people of God to give themselves wholly to reading. Right. If you gave yourself holy to reading, we'd all starve to death. The man of God is to labor in spiritual things and the people of God are to labor in carnal things and they're to have a trade. 100% for 10% or approximately. And in that trade, the church of God is built. It's the manual. I'm I'm preaching to you about the prophet of God so that when you're praying for Brother that we're about to ordain next Sunday. What you want to be praying is for God to open his eyes and take off the scales that he might see things in God's Word clearly and to fill his heart with the matter of God's Word so that all he can think of is more services, not, what am I going to say? Amen. And the Lord can make a difference like that in a hurry. Amen. You can sit down sometimes when the Spirit of the Lord is blessing. You can't open this Bible without seeing a sermon on every... I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. I, ju- I want to get... It is. You know, email is good, but it's not good enough yet where I can just talk or think and all of you can hear me. Because sometimes you just turn a page and all you can say is, wow. You know, that's the cheap English word. Wow. Because God has opened something to you and you want to share it. It's a treasure for the man of God to have a knowledge of the word of God and to be able to reveal the hidden wisdom of God's secrets. It is a treasure. Have I given you enough verses on that over the few weeks that I preached to you about the hidden wisdom of God's mysteries. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and as the stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This treasure of the ministry of being able to relate the word of God to you is had in a very carnal body that gets us in trouble and sin. But yet we have a treasure. And a good minister is to bring forth things old and new out of that treasury. Right. Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. Is there a prophet in having a man of God? Amen. He can save you from the sleight of men and their cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive and show you the knowledge of the truth, that you can be saved from all the ignorance and errors of men. Amen. That's a great blessing. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's see if there's profit in having a man of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. You don't need help interpreting this one. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Here are two of their devilish lies and false doctrines. Forbidding to marry... And commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Anyone that believes and knows the truth is that marriage should not be forbidden to any. And that we should be able allowed to eat meats that we choose to eat. And there's a great church that contains half of the so-called Christians in this world that believe that you can't eat meat on certain days and at certain times. And their priests cannot marry. Amen. We've been saved from that those lies of the devil by having men of God preach right. to you the truth. And we're in the statistical minority, brethren, which means we call it a blessing and we say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul, especially mine. Or I'd be up here with my collar turned around and I wouldn't have a wife. But look what it goes on to say. Every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. This is advice for Timothy on how to preach and what to preach. For it is sanctified. Now, how many men this morning are going to stand and preach 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 7, and let it all hang out, name names, as to where that doctrine came from, and to preach it boldly? Correct. Precious few. Precious few, because it's not politically correct today to criticize anyone. But the Word of God is constantly critical. Amen. Because it has to criticize error. Because we're subject to error. And notice that verse seven, verse 6 states, that if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. What you think a good minister is, or what I think a good minister is, or what the world thinks a good minister is, is all irrelevant. And it's deceptive and dangerous. A good minister is someone that will remind you of the errors of the Church of Rome. And the, the way that the Church of Rome is infected the churches of Jesus Christ. She is the mother of harlots and she is the mother of the abominations of the earth. And those abominations are the false doctrines of that church. And good ministers stir you up by reminding you of these things to to make sure that you are established in the words of faith and of good doctrine. That's the word of God. That's the profit that you can have by having a man of God to protect you from lies. Now, how does a man get into this office? Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Just a few more minutes. Isn't that a vague warning? What is a few? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 5. Five or less. Hebrews 5, verse 4. No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. No man takes an office of God himself, It's given to him like the office of priest was given to Aaron by God. It is not chosen chosen by a man. It is given by God. It is a shame that today most men that end up in the ministry, when I say most, what do I mean by most? Let's define another vague word. 99% enter the ministry by their choice of a career. It doesn't matter how they were moved to that choice. It does not matter if they heard preaching of the power and authority of the Word of God and on the ministry, and because of that, they chose the ministry. That is not how the ministry is taken. The ministry is given. God gives it from heaven. And His other ministers identify and recognize it and ordain that man and publicly appoint him. You do not choose it. It is not desire that makes a man a minister. And you, the past few weeks, reading ordination certificates, reading books on church polity and how ordinations ought to take place. I'm sick of it. All they talk about is the call to the ministry, but they don't know what it is. And I'm going to show you in just a second. It's so simple. They think the call to the ministry is a feeling inside that I want to preach. That isn't the call to the ministry. Every single brother... And every single sister in here ought to have that desire. If you were spiritually minded, every single member of this church would want to be a preacher. My mother wants to be one. I commend her for it. She knows she can't, but she wishes she could. Every single, you know, how do I know that from the Bible? First Corinthians chapter 12. And he gave apostles, the first apostles, then prophets, And then he goes on and lists some more gifts. And he says, covet earnestly the best gifts. The best gifts are to be desired by all of God's saints. Right. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. The the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All men, all women, all children should have that desire. There's a young man in here who's looking at me right now. Who tells me about every other week that he wants to be a preacher when he grows up. That is a noble desire. But every one of us ought to have that desire. That does not make the call to the ministry. If someone comes forward and says, I feel called to the ministry, so? Everyone should be called to the ministry. Now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and see what I would do after I said so. And what Timothy would have done after he said so. And what Paul would have done after he said so. Now let's, let's be a little nicer than that. We can say, so I commend you for fulfilling 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 31, and coveting earnestly the best gifts. The desire isn't to call. Right. I have a desire to be mechanically inclined, but God has not called me to be so. It's amazing. Brethren, I don't say one, I'm not saying one word in pride or anything like that. But I have taken a few IQ tests in time, and I've taken a few other kinds of tests, but why? can't I get a light bulb to go in right? Why, if I try to fix the smallest thing, I lose it in seconds. If I pick up a tool, my family heads to the other end of the house. Why? I may have a desire. Big. So, you don't want me working on your car. You hardly want me driving it. The desire is not the call. Um, Men are called to do different things. I hear someone play the piano by ear. You know, it's like Matthew. I want to get up real close and and watch to know what's going on between that piano and the head that's playing and those fingers. I may have the desire. Oh, you should hear my... When us guys sit around at home, we talk about the one over here. We say, oh, just think of the woman that gets him. He's just going to be at the piano... just playing away by ear and singing lullabies and singing love songs to his wife. But it, it, no matter how much we desire it, ever hear one finger versus Jonathan Carnell? That one finger out of rhythm? About every fourth note wrong? It's, the desire doesn't make the call. God calls some people and gives them gifts. And we know the, we know the calling of God by the abilities that men have. Right. And this is the Bible way. And I'm going to show you an example. Some of you already know where I'll end up going, but it's so precious. I desire. Look at 1st Timothy chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's not wrong to desire to be a pastor. And if he desires to be a pastor, he's desiring a good work. And would to God that everyone wanted to be a pastor to some, to a degree, that you wanted to be God's messenger to preach the word of God and to reveal the hidden wisdom of God's secrets and the revelation of things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. That's a great blessing, and every man should aspire and desire to be able to communicate and reveal God's word to others. If a man desire, if, he doesn't have to, but if a man does, Desire the office of a bishop. He desires a good work. That's all it says. It doesn't say if a man desires the office of a bishop, then ordain him before his desire goes away. Or if a man desires the office of a bishop, ordain him as quickly as you can. It says if he desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing, a good work. A bishop then, and I want you to notice that word then. A bishop then, in the qualifying process, once you have a man that thinks he likes the job, or wants the job, or desires the job, then he needs to be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, and we go through a list of qualifications, and that's the man that's to be ordained. If you can get all the way down through verse 7, and verse 1 doesn't matter because it's an if, but verses 2 through 7 are very important because they are the then. You show me a man that has everything in verses 2 through 7, I don't care whether he wants it or not, I'm going to tell him that God's called him to preach the gospel. Titus chapter 1 doesn't say anything about the desire. It just says you're in the island of Crete, you're all by yourself, and the churches need elders. Now go out there and find, and it lists the qualifications. You find a man that has those qualifications, make him an elder. If he's an obedient Christian, who's going to say no? Except a Jonah here and there, and eventually the Lord will get to Jonah's in Nineveh? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. What was a 25-year-old doing, having Michigan National Banks pay for extensive heart examinations because he thought that he was going to die before he reached the age of 26? Some of you know the details. My wife knows the details. I know the details. And that's what counts. Jonah made it to Nineveh. Before 30. Jonah wanted to wait till 30. Turn to Exodus chapter 31. I have not kept my promise, but I no longer care. Amen. Amen. Exodus 31, because I have to finish this point. The office of minister is not chosen by a man. it's chosen. The man is chosen by God for the office. And God's men are able to recognize them by following the word of God, not by a good feeling. Not by friendship, but by the word of God. And those, and some of you know how long and arduous this process has been as I have begged God to bring me to a place of complete confidence and comfort in the light of his qualifications. Because this is one cautious man. I know a brother this week that's found out how much I worry about things. Because I want to do what's right. And I'm there. And we're going 100% full force, wide open next Sunday morning. There's no hesitation, question, or doubt about the matter. Exodus chapter 31. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Let me give you a little bit of background quickly. Moses went up into a mountain. God showed him in his head visually, or visually, he saw the tabernacle. The tabernacle was beautiful with with incredibly intricate design. Materials and gold and brass and the priest's uniforms and the, the curtains and the altar and the the, 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 uh, the candlestick and the, the showbread, the table for the showbread, and the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim. You don't like to read all those intricate details, do you? It was incredibly intricate and incredibly detailed. Moses gets this visual impression. He knows exactly what it's supposed to look like. He comes down from the mountain and God says, build it. What's a man to do? Well, when God has a work that needs to be done, God will prepare a man to do it. That's right. And how will you know which man God is prepared to do it? He will have the abilities, and by that you know his call. Look at Exodus 31. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, look around, Moses. Look, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri." the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. See, I have called. Look, look at this man. Everything he touches, he's able to convert it into something beautiful. He can take stones and cut them. Gold, silver, brass. All the work of the manner of the workmanship. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, knowledge, and all manner of the work that's needed to be done. See, I have called. What other passage would we possibly need? This is the call to the ministry. And the list... Of the qualifications is not that you have made some fine articles, artifacts in gold, silver, and brass. It's 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the list of qualifications. When Moses looks around, the Lord says, See? Because, brethren, there's a difference. Some men have an appetite for the Word of God, some men have an appetite for wanting to defend the Word of God, for wanting to tell you about the Word of God. They are spiritually inclined. They are filled with the Holy Ghost. They have knowledge and wisdom and understanding. You say, why did it take you so long? It's no one's fault but mine. In this day and age when so many men are put in the pulpit that do not belong there, I want to be as cautious as I can be because the Bible tells me lay hands suddenly on no man. First Timothy 5.23 This is the call to the ministry. Brethren, This is the call to the ministry. It's not the desire for the office, it's the ability for the office, recognized by other men in the office, directed by God and commanded by them to spot those men. The things that thou hast heard of me, Paul told Timothy, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Oh, so I'm looking for a faithful man who shall be able to teach others also. Oh, I'm looking for a man with some teaching ability also. That's what I'm told to do. We do believe in apostolic succession of the ministers. The apostles ordained Timothy. Timothy ordained others. It's come all the way down to the man who ordained me, and I'm ordaining this brother. Amen. We believe in ministerial succession. We do not believe in church succession. We believe in ministerial succession because that's what the New Testament teaches, and it's done by one minister recognizing in another man the list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. The call to the ministry is not a desire because the qualifications given in 1 Timothy 3 are to check that desire and in most cases the qualifications aren't met even though the desire might be there. Everyone is to desire it so that doesn't prove anything. Moses didn't desire it and he was the greatest of the Old Testament. An ability is what's to be sought. In the two passages that ministers are told how to find other ministers, they're to look for Ability. Last, turn to Exodus 36. Exodus 36. I just want to show you further evidence of how God used Bezalel and Aholiab. Exodus 36, then wrought, verse 1, then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord had commanded. Notice, God put in them how to do everything that needed to be done for the work of the sanctuary. And God can put in a man a perspective and an appetite and ability and knowledge and wisdom on everything that the church of God needs by, as defined by the Holy Scriptures. That's why we're ordaining this coming Sunday. And Moses called, and Moses called Bezalel, and a holy ab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even every one whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it, and that is just what's going to happen next Sunday. A brother is going to be called by me because it's God calling him to do a work that God has fit him to do. Amen. And that's what we shall do next Lord's Day. It's a shame today that boys are allowed to choose a ministerial profession like they would choose the accounting profession because it's very different, and I mean no disservice to the accounting profession at all. It's very needful, very important, and I'm glad that we have some accountants in this congregation, but when it comes to the Lord's work, it's not chosen by men. It's cho- Men are chosen by God for it. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.